take out your Bibles for this morning's reading. We're going to be finishing up the book of Acts today, chapter 28, starting in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. There we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had done no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had pointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This ends God's reading. Please be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help before we look at his word this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to gather, gather freely as uh, we do. And we ask you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Bless this, your word, to your people, I pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Um, our subject for today is seeing and hearing. Seeing and hearing. 
how we see and hear God's word now, that is, in this present life, will determine what we see and hear for all eternity. Again, our subject for today is seeing and hearing. How we see and hear God's word now will determine what we see and hear for all eternity. After many months in the book of Acts, we come now to the final chapter of our exposition. Um, Next Lord's Day, Lord willing, will be kind of an overview, a conclusion to the conclusion, if you will, an overview of the book of Acts. But here we have the end of the beginning. The beginning was the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The end has come in the sense that Paul has made it to Rome. But more significant than that is that the end of the age has come in the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth, beginning a new creation. That is, uh, his kingdom was inaugurated when he came. It will be consummated at the end of the age, when he returns again in glory. Now, Paul went about preaching the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. I will build my church. The church is a people. The church is not a building. The church is a people. People called out from the world to Christ himself by the resident presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ, is indeed the locus of God's presence in this world. The locus of God's presence in this world are true believers. Now here, since Acts 21, ever since chapter 21, the whole account of Acts is really geographically centered in a sense in moving Paul towards Rome. And here, God's word has come to pass. Remember the Lord promised him, Paul, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you will also testify of me in Rome. And remember, that was, that was something Paul was resolved to do in the spirit ever since chapter 19. And God's providence has secured his arrival and there was nothing that was going to stop him. Now consider, consider over the course of these chapters, plots from the Jews, efforts of those seeking to kill Paul. Remember, they wanted to ambush him on two different occasions. He'd had hearings before Roman officials, another hearing before King Agrippa. He spent two years in prison in Caesarea. He then boarded an Alexandrian ship and was storm-tossed for two weeks in the middle of the Mediterranean. That, by the way, his fourth shipwreck. 
He records in 2 Corinthians he had, he had been shipwrecked three times. He wrote that before this shipwreck. And then once he gets to the island of Malta, he, he is bitten by a poisonous snake. And here, God's providence oversaw all of it to get Paul to his destination because God's sovereign decreed will said, you are going to Rome. Anything going to stop the sovereign decreed will of God? No. No. And because Paul knew that, he trusted God all along the way to keep his word and thereby glorified God in the process. Does that mean that he was ever fearless, beloved? Hello? No. <laughs> Thus the encouragement that came to him on a number of occasions. Paul, fear not. Fear not, Paul. Lesson. Lesson for us. There are two ways to go through life. Number one, believing God is sovereign and entrust the outcome to him. Or number two, go through life saying that you believe that, worrying and fretting, tossed to and fro, wavering in unbelief. Or given to anger. Because you're mad at God. Because of the course in which he has you. And the fact is, beloved, you are going to end up in the same place. You're going to end up in the same place. So it's, it's, it's all about how you decide to get there. Truly trusting sovereign God or saying that I trust that God is sovereign. I have to remind myself of this. Every time I'm storm-tossed. I don't know about you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And we remind one another of these things, amen? Right. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I need the reminder. You need the reminder. We all need the reminder. And we need to the God, and it reminds us. The Word of God reminds us. He's sovereign. He's in absolute control. So here then, after this shipwreck... Um, they wintered on the island of Malta for three months. And notice they board an Alexandrian ship which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. These were known as the sons of Jupiter, the uh, pagan patron god of sea travelers. And the superstition was, of course, that they watched over those who traveled on the sea. Paul's not superstitious. God's sovereign. These gods are false gods. I'm boarding this Alexandrian ship. I was just shipwrecked on another one. I'm going to board this one, and God says I'm going to make it to Rome. And they head out. And then in verses 11 to 16, Paul finally gets there. And in verse 13, they, they arrive at uh, Putiali. It's the, that's the Gulf of Naples. And there he finds these Italian Christians in the region of the Roman Empire. Italian brothers in Christ. And notice they fellowship for seven days together. They come in from Rome. He hasn't arrived in Rome yet, but they come in from Rome. And then in verses 15 and 16, the Christians there, when they hear about Paul's arrival, counting him as a dear brother, travel anywhere from 10 to 30 miles to see the beloved apostle Paul. Christian brotherhood. Now keep in mind, 
Keep in mind, at this point in history, these people from Rome only know Paul through his writings, i.e., the epistle to the Romans. Those who, who had received this, this wonderful epistle, they finally see him face to face. And this must have been, as the late great John Stott puts it, quote, an emotional experience for Paul to meet personally the first members of the church to which he had addressed his great theological and ethical treaties. It is not surprising that at the sight of them, he thanked God and took courage. You see that in verse 15. So at the end of this section, upon entering Rome, notice Paul was not carried off with the other prisoners on board. Remember that Alexandrian ship that wrecked on the island of Malta, there were numerous prisoners on board being hauled to Rome. So they're carried off, but instead, Paul, the apostle, is placed on house arrest. And that's a place he rented for two years, we see down in verse 30. House arrest. Now today, um, if you were on house arrest, anybody on house arrest? What? <laughs> you, you would typically have an ankle bracelet that, that monitors your, your whereabouts. Not in Paul's day. You would have a Roman guard chained to you. A Roman guard. So he's on house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Typically, typically, we don't know for certain in this case, but typically they would rotate guards every four hours. Every four hours. And over the course of a 24-hour period, he would be chained to six different men. And imagine the gospel privilege they received. You, you, you can just, you, you know the Apostle Paul. Um, each one of them most certainly was evangelized from beginning to end. Some of them perhaps loved it. And others, I imagine, hated it. Not unlike today. Some who just love to hear the word of God, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and others, it angers them. They get upset because it's true. You can talk about nonsense like Buddha. People don't get riled up. The truth pricks. The truth bites. God, God is not relative God. He's holy God, amen? There's one way to the Father, and it's through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are not many roads that lead to God. God's not a schizophrenic, amen? There's one way, and it's his Son. Promised in the third chapter of Genesis, in history unfolds the promise being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. That's who Paul preaches. Christ, the holy, royal, anointed one. So here it is, it's during this time that Paul, now in house arrest, is from here, and at this time he will write his prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. It is from here, beloved, that he will provide us with the great armor of God passage, Ephesians chapter six. And it's not hard to imagine him simply looking over his soldier shoulder at this soldier that he's chained to in penning the glorious armor of God passage. Can you imagine? He's like, yeah, hold on a minute. 
I have a spiritual analogy. The armor of God. Look at this Roman soldier. Look at his get up. And we benefit 2,000 years later. It's amazing. So here in verse 17, Paul now, he's going to summon the delegation of Jewish leadership there in Rome. So Paul, being in custody, could not visit them. So he calls for them after three days. You think this brother would take a vacation after all that he's been through? Shipwrecked. He's on Malta. He gets you know, bitten by a snake, and all these things occur. And, but three days later, he calls for them. Notice verse 17. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me. That is, the Romans were willing to release me, for there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. And, and that's because Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. So you could appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. You can imagine him lifting his arm up. This chain I wear for the hope of our people. So what Paul is saying is that it's because of his love for the Jewish people that, that he is here for the sake, verse 20, for the hope of Israel. Okay, which is to say, which is to say, just as our people have hoped in the promised Messiah, I'm telling you in my change, in my chains, my, my theology is consistent with theirs. The difference is they believe, they don't believe rather that Jesus is Messiah. I'm telling you he is. I saw him resurrected from the grave. You want to see Paul's heart? You remember Paul's heart with regard to the Jews? Look, look at Romans 5. 9, rather. Romans 9, 1 through 5. I think I have it for you on the screen. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, whose over all God bless forever. Amen. He says, I'm telling you, the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament then. He's saying the scriptures are clear. Messiah comes through Israel. And you don't see it. And it's because of my love for them. Now, Paul wrote Romans from Corinth in 57 AD. At this point in history, it's about 60 AD, okay? 
You got that? You got that? So he, he pens the church in Rome in 57. This is about 60. Well, back in 49, back in 49 AD, Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews, all Jews, from out of Rome because of rioting that took place over this so-called Christos. Some believed that this Jesus is Christ. Others did not. It created riots. So Claudius expels all Jews from out of Rome. We learned something of that with Aquila and Priscilla. They had been expelled. So by this time, as Paul arrives, over a decade later, they had lifted the ban. Jews come back to the city organized in local synagogues. So Paul calls for them, the leaders. That's a little of the history. Verse 21, they said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have we any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. Wait a minute, what? After all that vile hatred back in Jerusalem, they wanted him dead. They haven't sent a messenger? No. Why? Possibly they were happy just to get Paul out of their hair. And now he's finally gone. That's one reason, I suppose. The second, he's a Roman citizen and... If he appeals to Caesar, they'll probably exonerate him. It's not worth the time. Perhaps that's the reason. Or, quite simply, they were probably waiting for more favorable weather because you did not sail the Mediterranean in this day between the, the months of October and February. And that's why they were shipwrecked. Shipwrecked in October. So we're never told if they arrive or not, but those are just some reasons to, to consider. So here now, the Jewish leaders in Rome say, even though we have no report against you, verse 22, we desire to hear from you. We want to hear what your views are for concerning this sect. You know what he's saying there? We want to hear from you concerning this heresy. The word sect is from where we get the word heresy, meaning disunion, to divide. Hmm. You know, th this one who's called the what? The what? The way. Those of the way. Jesus is the way. This sect known as the way. This heresy. We'll, we'll hear you out, brother. Notice, it is known to us that it, the sect, the heresy, is spoken against everywhere. Now remember, Rome is the capital of the civilized world. So everywhere, everyone, everywhere, everyone speaks against it. This heresy, this sect known as the way who follow this Christus. The whole world's heard about it. So here then, 
after 10 plus years of rumblings made by these Christians, these Jewish leaders want to know more. They want to know more. Now, that, of course, is exciting to Paul, amen? Man, I long for people to sit down and say, man, tell me more about this Christ from the Bible. Tell me more about Scripture. You know how often that happens? Rarely, unless one's become a Christian. Rarely. I didn't want to hear it before I became a Christian. And it was only by the grace of God that I became a Christian. Because it pricks and it pokes, it convicts. And Christ, what does he do? He also divides. He unites, but he divides. Because he's truth. Truth divides as well as unites. So, verse 23, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. All throughout the, now remember, he only has the Old Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament. As he testifies about these things, the New Testament is being penned at this time. Now, the Old Testament, we read through and through, um, prophesied about a promised king that was to come, a Messiah, the Messiah. Talks about a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and notice, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. They had a large attention span back then. He's declaring that the king of kings who was promised to come has come. He is the Christ. He is Jesus, and he will come again. Notice from morning till evening, he expounds to them the whole counsel of God. This is no 20-minute sermonette. This is no 10-minute homily with a repeat-after-me prayer at the end. You see this? Morning till evening. Next week when we do an overview of Acts, you can bring your lunch. <laughs> Just kidding. It won't be any longer than normal. So It was time to lighten the load there for a bit. Okay, okay notice. From morning till evening, he, he expounds. And, and I want you to notice that verb persuade or, or convince, as your translation has it, involves intellectual internal activity. Internal activity. Remember, friends, biblical faith has three essential elements that the reformers recognized by way of the scriptures. The scriptures show us, remember those Latin terms, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Notitia, this is the content of our faith. This is the notification. These are the facts. That alone doesn't save. The next is a census, mental assent to those facts, and that's not enough. The third is fiducia. You must embrace them by faith, for personal trust and reliance upon, the God, upon God Almighty who, who, who has given us his gospel. So here, Paul is earnest, 
trying to persuade them. This isn't merely a transfer of truth. What's going on here this morning is not merely a transfer of truth. He wants to persuade them. I want to persuade you, if you're not a believer, to entrust your life and your soul to this one. So you see pathos here. You know, there's something about listening to somebody who really believes what they're declaring. Can I get a witness about this? Rather than just regurgitating truth. I've heard men preach, and I wonder, do do you even believe what you're saying? Right? And notice here, as Paul tries to reach them, he doesn't employ any miracles here. Notice he doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't utter a word of prophecy. Now, he will quote a prophecy. It's a dooming prophecy. There's no signs, no miracles, no wonders, no signs of an apostle. He preaches Christ from the Old Testament from morning until evening. What did Jesus do? The day of his resurrection, when he comes across two very desperate disciples who do not yet realize that he's been raised from the dead. Jesus walks along the road with them. They do not recognize him. And we read that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them the things concerning himself. That the Messiah must suffer. He must die. And he must raise the third day. So here Paul, like his master, the Lord, takes the Bible, the Old Testament. He opens it up and expounds and comments on the word of God, just like Jesus, who is the word. This is the main thing, beloved. You know this? You want to go to a church that's sound? You want to go to a church and be part of a church that is correct, that is spirit-filled, that is spirit-led, then you find a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. The way that you know that a church is spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered is a church that preaches Christ. Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will testify about me. Not about himself. Not about signs, wonders, and miracles. He will testify of me. You know, for some professing Christians, they profess to be Christian, and his word is not enough. His word is not enough. They're always after some new movement. The gospel is not satisfying. You know, a pastor friend of mine wrote me an email this week. And he said this, this is a direct quote. Brother, I am watching certain people depart from the faith and it makes me cling to Christ more closely. Time is quite a revealer of where people stand, end quote. And I'll tell you what, just minutes before he wrote me, I was considering the very same thing. People I know, apostates, who at one time professed Christ, they've turned their back, they've walked away, now they're into relativism, they're into humanism, they're into social gospel, they're into prosperity gospel, all of which are false gospels. It's not the gospel. 
and ultimately you deny Christ. I have cowardly pastors, cowardly, spineless pastors who say this, and this is a direct quote from someone in this town last week. Don't tell people about their sin because everyone knows they have sin, bro, end quote. Well, then you can't preach the gospel because he's the remedy. You preach the bad news first before you preach the good news. The gospel's the good news. Why is there good news? Because there's bad news. You declare the bad news to get to the good news. There's one who delivers sinners like me. Only one. These preachers are man-pleasers. Focused on scratching people's itching ears. That's all they're about. The word is not enough for them. Paul loved the word. Embrace the word. I know professing believers who are involved in sorcery. These, these clairvoyant spirit mediums. Clairvoyant simply means is, is the practice of, of seeking information through means other than the known human senses. Okay, the Bible calls that sorcery. Sorcery. Psychics, clairvoyance, occult practitioners, they have no part in conveying the revelation of Almighty God because all they provide and all they can provide is cheap and damning counterfeit messages. Take warning, the Bible's clear. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But anyway, we went back and forth a little bit and it just breaks our heart how many people where the word of God is not enough. It's not enough. So here then, um, back to the account. After explaining the gospel to these Jews, okay, now remember, these are people, these are not pagans. They are steeped in Old Testament scripture. Those who are thoroughly acquainted with Torah, with the prophets. And here Paul is testifying text after text. I'm going to show you Jesus is promised here in the text. He was promised here in the text. He's promised here in the text. He's come. It said he would die. It said he would suffer. It said he, he would raise again. He's come. He's risen. Over and over again. The result? His audience was split. His audience was split. Okay, nobody was nodding off on this day, by the way. Okay? Nobody was nodding off. Everybody was listening. No, Luke is very careful in describing this. Luke 24, verse 24. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, and others would not believe. You know that happens each and every Sunday right here and every church that preaches the truth of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, that happens every week simply because there's no such thing as indifference to the word of God. No such thing. To be indifferent is to refuse to believe it. No fence sitters, no such thing. So then notice a disagreement erupts. This is something Paul's used to, amen? Paul's very used to this. A disruption amongst his hearers. For some, for some, the message was an aroma of life unto life. And for others, the message, same message, was an aroma of death unto death. Same holds true to this day. 
There was a clash. There's a collision. That's what truth always does. So here now the meeting begins to stir a little bit. It begins to break up. And then Paul gives a parting shot. Notice verse 25. Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers. And by the way, the Holy Spirit always speaks rightly. He can't otherwise speak. Notice, Paul doesn't take it personally that they don't believe. If you share the gospel with someone, don't take it personally. You have no power to convert anyone, nor do I. That's his job. You just bring the truth. And here Paul, he, 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 he entrusts himself to the sovereignty of God, and he simply puts the situation here back in the context of Isaiah chapter 6, from which we read earlier this morning. Notice verse 26, saying, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. So on one hand, you have their hardened hearts refusing to believe. On the other hand, and don't miss this. On the other hand, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You have the judicial hardening of God put upon them that prevents them from believing verses 26 and 27. Tough stuff. Okay, now remember, context, back to Isaiah. This is Isaiah's ordination charge to preach. Isaiah, go, um, speak to them, and I want you to speak to them so that their ears become deaf and their eyes become blind, lest they see and understand and embrace and become converted. They don't want me now. They continue to not want me. Basically, they're not going to get me. They would not believe, so guess what? They could not. You can't go through this life and say, oh, I'm gonna, I'll go sow my wild oats now and you know, I'll come to this Christ later in life. No guarantee that the door's open, my friends. Now, this is Isaiah's ordination charge. Again, context. Isaiah is told what he's going to do. God is telling Isaiah what he's going to do. Paul is quoting Isaiah and that which has actually happened. Your message, Isaiah, will not be one of good news, but a message of bad news. So when Isaiah heard that, he asked, Lord, how long? I mean, how long do I have to have a ministry where every time I preach, the people reject me and your message? How long? Isaiah 6, verse 11, until, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Now, immediate context, 
750 years before Christ or so, the immediate context is a warning of the coming of the Assyrians, of a coming of the Babylonians, their captivity, that is the captivity of the Jews by way of the Assyrians and Babylonians, the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Judah, the destruction of Samaria, and the destruction of Jerusalem. Did it come to pass? It came to pass. Just as the Lord had said, God is coming in judgment, context Isaiah 7 something BC, 700 and some BC, and here's the fulfillment of it yet again in Paul's day in a broader sense. Paul sees that these Jews, those who had the promises of God, the covenants of God, the adoption of God, the prophets, and according to the flesh, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and yet they've rejected him. Ooh. And even more broadly than that, look at John 12. Turn to John 12. This is the middle of, uh, this is Jesus in the midst of his ministry, his public ministry. Notice what Jesus said to the Jews on this day, John 12, verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. What did Jesus say of himself? I am the light of the world. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But... Okay, but though he had performed so many miracles before them, yet they would not believe in him. And this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who's believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they what? Could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal him. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Him who? Him who? Verse 37. Jesus, the one who said, walk while you have the light. That vision that Isaiah had was a vision of the pre-incarnate Jesus. The, the, the eternal son of God before he condescended to take on human flesh to, to die for my sins and my guilt. It's remarkable. Isn't the Bible amazing? Amen. Friends, this makes no sense to our modern sensibilities, okay? This is, in other words, this is no seeker-sensitive message. This is absolutely contrary to so many methods that places called churches give themselves to rather than just preaching the whole counsel of God. 
Paul cites Isaiah 6, told as he was by God to go preach, not to bring salvation, but judgment. That's a hard message, friends. You don't skip over this stuff. It's amazing. You know, some people who are Christians, they, they, they call themselves Christians, they become callous to the word of God. Callous, hardened. There are parts of it they don't want to hear. They refuse to hear. So they go to places that don't teach about judgment. It doesn't teach the bad news. They don't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. So they get a pep talk. They get a TED talk. You don't get TED talks here, amen? The word of God will encourage you. And we're going to get to that momentarily. Okay, then notice the most provocative, insulting thing that Paul possibly could have said to these unbelieving, these gospel-rejecting Jews on this day, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known. Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. What an indictment. They will listen. Now remember, Paul has preached this before. You remember? And what was the result? Riots. He preached that same thing in Antioch, Ephesus, and Corinth to the local Jews, and all hell broke loose. Yeah. The idea of Gentiles being brought into the covenant with Almighty God Yahweh, those were fighting words for these Jews, unbelieving Jews. They were blind to the Old Testament promises given to Abraham that through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. All those who put their faith and trust in the seed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 30, and we wrap up. And he stayed, Paul did, for two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness. That is openness and unhindered. Bold confidence over and over again. Listen to what Matthew Henry wrote regarding to what Paul preached here. And I quote, Paul, he does not fill their heads with curious speculations, nor with matters of state and politics, but he keeps to his text. He keeps to the text. And he minds his business as an apostle. You know what every pastor needs to do to mind his business? You can say it. Preach the text. Not here to entertain you. Okay, as I wrap up, some things to consider. I want you to consider first all that Paul has been through. A lot of trouble. Trouble? Trauma? I should have said trauma. Trauma? Drama, rejection, yeah, over and over again. And think about it in the context of God's providence. 
This is all within God's plan. Matthew Henry continues in that context. Think about this. Two years he was a prisoner under Felix, and besides, all the time that passed between that and his coming to Rome, he's here two years more as a prisoner under Nero. How many churches might Paul have planted? How many cities and nations might he have brought over to Christ if he had been at liberty? Ever considered that? Oh, the work he could have accomplished um, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, but God is wise and will show that he is not debtor to the most useful instruments he employs. But can and will carry on his own interest both without their services and by way of their sufferings. End of quote. In other words, in other words, not even the apostle Paul is so important that God needs him. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. By grace, we get him. We get him. Paul understood this. Another point to consider, and I opened with this, and I'll be done in a couple minutes and we're going to come to the Lord's table for all and only all who are in Christ. Point to consider. How we see and how we hear God's word here will determine what we see and what we hear for all eternity. So, final point to consider. Once again, how we see and hear the word of God now will determine what we see and what we hear for all eternity. Look at the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. In other words, those who are in rebellion against the gospel. And will throw them into the furnace of fire. Okay, that is what they will see. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is what they will hear. All who reject the gospel here. All who are outside of Christ here. That is what they will hear. That is what they will see for all of eternity. But for those in Christ, verse 33, all those who embrace him by faith, who die of our pride that says, I can do this, I can earn my own way, and they bow before Christ who's earned the way for you, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That is what they will see. Jesus concludes in that section of scripture, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who spoke, who spoke more about hell than all the prophets put together? Jesus. Don't ever say Jesus didn't judge. And I say this a lot because anytime we have visitors, people say, well, Jesus doesn't judge. He is the judge. <laughs> this is what he said on speaking of hell, Mark 9, 43. It is, hell that is, to be cast into the unquenchable fire. Okay, now that's a metaphor. If, if it's real fire, I, I don't know, but think about this. Whatever metaphor is used in the Bible speaking in negative terms, the reality is a thousand million times worse. Same for the positive. How heaven is described, it's a million times greater. 
than what can be described. It is to be cast into unquenchable fire where, notice, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, now our attention this day has been on which prophet of the Old Testament? Isaiah. Listen how the book of Isaiah ends. Isaiah 66, 24. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, says the Lord, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. Wow. Look at how we see and how we hear the word of God will determine whether or not we will see with our eyes those shining like the sun in the glory of almighty God in Christ Jesus in heaven for all eternity or in a pit having rejected him in unbelief, hearing wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth as they themselves will also be wailing and weeping and gnashing their teeth. To close on an upward motion. Look at 1 John 3. Beloved. Beloved. Now we are children of God. For all who believe, now we are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be what? Like him. Because we will see him. We will see him just as he is. You can't see him just as he is right now in glory because you'd be sizzled. That's why Isaiah in chapter 6 got just a glimpse of his glory. And what did he say? I'm undone. I'm a sinner. I have unclean lips. I have an unclean heart. We will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Look, all of this is possible. The reason you're going to heaven, the only reason you're going to heaven is not by one thing you've done to earn it, my friends. Amen? You can't earn heaven. God requires absolute, holy, sinless perfection. It's impossible. He sent his son as a substitute. He upheld the law in your place, and he laid down his life in the place of all who have ever or will ever believe. Why? Why is it possible? Because what Jesus saw is he hung on that cross was darkness that fell upon him. That's what he saw, the darkness of hell descending upon him. That's what he saw. What did he hear? Silence. His father was silent and turned his face from his son because he sent his son to bear the cross, to become sin, the one who never sinned, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the great exchange. That's why you'll never be forsaken because he was. And you'll never see darkness. All you'll see is light. All you'll see is glory, but only in Christ. forsaken he who has ears to hear let him hear now I want to persuade you if you're here 
particularly if you're one who accepts the facts intellectually about this Christ, about this gospel, and you have not appropriated them within your heart personally, I call you and I hope that God will grant you to receive the message of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ now that you understand the bad. You come to Christ where you sit in your heart right now, and he declares that he will carry you on through the rest of this life to walk by faith. It's not going to be painless, but he'll move you right into glory when you take your last breath by faith in Christ alone. You can't earn this. You have to receive it. Amen.